Yeah, buddy, this is the Lifestyle Business Podcast, the podcast guaranteed to make you rich, sexy, and jet-set. We believe that beer does taste better in Bali, and in the eternal struggle between Bintang and Singh, we are currently choosing... Bintang, baby. Yeah, buddy. In fact, uh, we talk. Uh, I talk a little bit about that on my latest blog post, the Tropical MBA, called Global, Global Arbitrage Smackdown. And also, i got to give a quick shout to Chris at My Egg Noodles for writing a great response post to that based on his experience living in Southeast Asia. It is true, probably, that Chris is one of the most understated bloggers out there in terms of this traveling, mobility, lifestyle design, arbitrage lifestyle. The guy's a rock star. He's got killer businesses. Uh, he really understands how to make money on the internet, and he's not too flash about it. He just posts some, you know, his travel experiences, some great food pics and everything, but he's not out there doing make money online stuff. I kind of wish he'd do more. I think he's scared to reveal all his ninja chick tricks to us us, us uh, rookies out on the road. Yeah, I think that he's uh, kind of in the same boat that we are. He's, he's super secretive. He doesn't release a lot of information about what's going on. I know people are dying to know what's going on. Hey, by the way, uh, speaking of Bintang, which uh, we drank a fair amount of last week in Bali, which we're back from. Did you notice that Bintang has the same label as Heineken? No. Yeah, like they totally ripped off their label. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's the exact same uh, layout and everything. That's smart. You know, Heineken, famous story of the marketing. First off, they're the biggest beer in the world. Still, charge more essentially for a squat green bottle. That's the whole marketing plan. It worked. It's freaking brilliant. Uh, same thing. I mean, we we mentioned Sing early in the episode. It was taken over by Chong recently as the largest beer. Uh, in Thailand, essentially, you know, jacked from the the Carlsberg guys. So that's a brilliant success story. Ten years ago, when I first visited Thailand, Sing was the biggest beer. It was everywhere. Yeah. And now you go to Thailand and Chong's. Everywhere. I mean, talk about a total turnaround. And Chong was totally, totally knifed from the from uh, Carlsberg people. That's a that's a that's a great story to hear over a couple beers in in uh, Thailand. But let's move on and tell us about the news. What's going on? Well, geez, I mean, we just got back from Bali. We just spent two weeks together in Bali. Met up with uh, Tommy Schultz from. Uh, what is it TommySchultz.com TommySchultz.com yeah and uh, so kind of bummed to be back in the States uh, but you're back in the States as well you're in uh, where are you I am in Pennsylvania right now I'm going to be doing a little stateside tour I'm going to be doing uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina plus I'm going to be spending some time in New York City with uh, a lot of my friends live in New York City great city and I'm going to be able to hang out there quite a bit, and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of interesting people there. But I think one of the biggest news updates might be that I might have infected you with a little bit of that Southeast Asia charm. I think I might have finally brought you to a place where you're starting to think, man, this Asia thing might not be so bad. I mean, what has been the mental transition for you, thinking a little bit about, you know, you were always this guy that's like, you know, San Diego's the place, I don't mind living in the States, and Dan's crazy because he likes motorbikes or whatever. What's the transition going on for you right now in terms of thinking about Southeast Asia as a potential place to run your business? From. Well, in the last year and a half, uh, you've dragged me to a fair amount of uh, countries in Asia. Where have we gone? We've gone to China, obviously, Vietnam, Thailand, Bali. And so I think up until Bali, I was, I mean, Southeast Asia is definitely, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. And one of the reasons why I think it could be better than living in San Diego is quality of life is very high over in Bali. And I love motorbike culture. So we could get on the motorbikes at any time, cruise around to restaurants. Wi-Fi spots, beaches. One of the coolest things I think about 
Southeast Asia is the amount of freedom that I always feel there. I just feel so free from from everything, from authority, from the clock, from clients. I mean, everything. When I was in Bali, I felt probably the most free that I've ever felt in Southeast Asia. And I think it's also the closest to California that I've ever felt, which is, I love the vibe in California too. There's a lot of restaurants and a lot of places in Bali that you can hang out and feel like you're in California. So I thought that was really unique. There is that like sort of irreducible feeling of bureaucracy and authority. You can't quite put your finger on it when you're, you know, back in your westernized home country, but you know it's there. There's a, it manifests in so many different ways. I mean, even a simple thing is like I was telling Ian for like an hour earlier today about like how depressed I was at the way I was treated by the immigration officials when I came back home for the first time in like 14 months. And, you know, like I was treated like I was some kind of international criminal for no particular reason. Yeah, this is a great story. I know that we probably won't talk about it now, but man, you should really write this up somewhere. Yeah, it, and it really makes me – I mean – the. There's no real useful takeaways except, and I'll say this, for anybody that has been away for a long time and you're going back to the United States especially, have like 100% of your eyes dotted and your T's crossed and don't bring anything, anything that could even bring you, like, do not have any data on your computer that could potentially incriminate you or say anything negative or wrong. So like, don't even bring a, like an external hard drive or anything that could be problematic I, I didn't do that, but it, it was definitely a wake-up call. Like, wow, these guys are really clamping down. Of course, in Southeast Asia, you, you don't get that feeling at all. The other thing that's interesting, as I was reading Chris's great blog and like learning a little bit from his experience, he's been in Southeast Asia a lot longer than me. I realized something that I, I compared him and like my lifestyle with, I'm going to some of my friends who all live in New York City, is that Chris and I visit new countries more on more frequency than my buddies who live in Brooklyn visit the north of Manhattan or New Jersey. Yeah, but that's because these Brooklyn kids are crazy. I mean, they they won't go an extra two stops to visit their friend. I know these kids. Well, th- there is the argument. I mean, and it is true that there is just so much in lower Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Like, why would you need to go anywhere else? So there is that argument. But there's also, like, the feeling of the expansiveness of the lifestyle wherein you do go to a new country every couple months. And so I think that that's an interesting contrast. Like... There isn't anything so utterly complete in Southeast Asia that you would kind of like set up shop there and say, oh, this is my home forever. Maybe a place like Bangkok, Singapore, Saigon, perhaps, maybe. But the point is, is that it's so cheap. It's so easy to just to bump into a new place and get set up for a short to medium term. Plus, you've got the added freedom of like the, the business culture lifestyle, especially the internet culture lifestyle. So, you know, back in home, your experience is working for nine to five or your experience is like startup lifestyle where it's like you're sleeping on your desk or something. But in Asia, you just don't have that. Like if you want to spend a couple of days traveling to a new country and like poking off a couple emails, you can. And the reason in general, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the episode is that in Asia, you've got a team of staff. Whereas in, in the United States, you're expected to do 10 people's work. In Southeast Asia, you've got 10 people doing the work for you. And so that's, I think, one thing that's really different. One other uh, quick news item on the Bali thing is that I've gotten a bunch of questions. In fact, that was uh, a lot of people wrote me emails after I wrote that post. People want to know more about Bali as a potential destination. And so I'm working with some people right now to pull together a short guide for the blog that we can share with everybody that gives us some really good information about price swings, uh, how to get the visa lined up, 
how to furnish your apartment, the nuts and bolts of the internet situation, all that. So we're going to pull that together for everybody. If anyone's interested in going to Bali, we'll have that pulled together in the next few weeks. Hey, how much uh, how much money did you spend in Bali for those two weeks, uh, <laughs> including airfare? Well, you want to if, you, if if the listeners can contrast our personality, I bet you can guess what my answer to this question is going to be, and I bet you're going to tell me what you spent. Yes. The answer to my question, the question is, of course, I have no freaking idea how much money I spent, and I'm not going to know <laughs> anytime soon. From Southern California to Bali and back in two weeks, including airfare, I spent less than $2,000. Pretty cheap. Wow. That's pretty good. And did you pay me back the money that you owe me? Um, No. I didn't. Oh, Because that's man, how it that hurts. I mean, how do you think I save so much money? It's by not paying people back. Man. All right, write that down, man. We got to get that moving. I'm I'm broke over here. All right, so let's move on to a couple quick shout-outs, Ian. Two people I really want to pull out of the crowd and just say thank you to Cody McKibben of ThrillingHeroics.com, Great Lifestyle Design blog, for giving us an iTunes review. That was really flattering. I love listening to Dan and Ian jamming out on the LBP. Yeah, buddy. All right, also, Josh Boish took that very advice from SonOfABoish.com. That's the son of an awesome most URL I've heard in the last couple weeks. Ian and Dan are fantastic, relatable. We're all the, Josh Boish was cool enough to go on there and just lie through his teeth about us and say all these really nice things. And I appreciate that, Josh, supporting the show. Yeah, buddy, that's Bala Bala. Uh, also, listener shout out to at Milt Baron, who is a really interesting business guy. Uh, we had so much fun when he came to Manila. We met up really late in the evening and, and had, a, had a hot couple hours bar hopping together and just had a blast meeting up. Uh, Milt's the real deal, man. He's been living in Thailand for like seven or eight years now. Uh, had some local business, makes money on the internet. He's the real deal. And uh, I'm definitely hoping to meet up with all these guys in Thailand early in 2011 there's going to be some kind of summit something somehow somewhere in thailand maybe something new year's eve maybe something in january february there's got to be something because i definitely want to see what uh chris is up to at undo lifestyles going on there at milt barons there of course even glenn Alsup from viper chill i don't i've never spoken to glenn but there's all kinds of people that are in thailand right now so i gotta get over there and see what's going on also thanks to david crandall for turning my blog post at tropical mba seven ways to get started in your business blog into a freaking sweet ebook which we're going to offer for free on the blogs david crandall as always being baller thanks to larry for his really kind comment on the blog we love the commenty commenty and we also love that at the niche you are publishing your income reports that's very cool Doing well, getting close to getting out of that nine to five, it looks like. I got an email, Matt. Actually, I just wrote you back, Matt, today. Sorry for the delay. It was in Bali. Um, Matt from highcappin.com. Check out his site. Doing some pretty cool manufacturing of, it looks like uh, apparel over in China. I think he's doing some sourcing stuff over there. So if you need a guy to help you source over in China. Yeah, you know, one downside of Bali is that it's pretty much the worst excuse you can give to anybody for not doing work. Because the immediate response is, of course... You're an asshole. If you go to somebody and you say, look, like, sorry, I was in Bali, people are going to be like, you're an asshole. Right. If you say, if you say like, oh, dude, sorry, like, I was in the Philippines, they're like, oh, yeah, I understand. Right. This, I mean, it's, there's something crazy. If you say, hey, dude, like, I was in Vietnam that week, and they're just right. like, dude, it's tot- I get it, you know, like, you're taking a break, you're over there in Vietnam, like, in the third world, it's cool. If you're like, hey, I was in Bali last week, they're like, you're right. an asshole. Sorry, Matt. You're an asshole. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I try to like post some pictures on my Facebook and stuff, and people are just like you're right. a jerk. 
You're a total jerk. When you're in the Philippines, they're like, oh, that's an interesting cultural experience you're having. Like, very. I probably wouldn't want to do that if I were you, but like, I think it's cool that you're doing yeah, it. Sorry. But if you tell people that you're going to Bali, they're just like, you're a jerk. <laughs> you're d- I don't want to hear that. <laughs> All right, so anyway, next – it's a good little tip, though. When you go to Bali, don't tell people you're going there. Tell people you're going to Indonesia. Yeah, that's a good and I think point. Pe- <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got way too much asshole brand recognition. All right, so we got a question, Ian, to answer. I like questions. Let's answer one. David from New Age Ventures. New Age Ventures. That's N-U-Ageventures.com. Ask us – how would you say are some good ways to find a niche when your passions aren't necessarily solving burning problems that people would pay for, which was our advice in the last episode? I'll, I'll tell you what my burning problem was, David. My burning problem was the fact that I was broke and I was stuck in an office. So I actually didn't need a market with a burning problem because I, I was a big enough burning problem that let, lit a fire under my ass that I would have sold toothpicks and toothpaste. I don't care. I would have sold anything. I still do sell anything. And I think the idea was is that that we accelerated our business fast enough where we could get to the point where we could still be successful and hire people to do that work for us, to run that business for us, because there are plenty of people who just want a solid job in this world, and they can sell the toothpicks and toothpaste for us. Toothpicks and paste, I think that's how you would say it. Yep. Um, and yeah, so the idea is, is, and what ended up happening for me is that I became passionate about the process of starting a business vis-a-vis doing it. And I was like, this is rad, you know, especially working with teams. You know, I'm part of the reason I'm so quick to hire and to advocate that is that I love working with people. I love working in a team yeah, environment. I think, I think another part of it, which you just started to touch on right there, is that you actually explore and find things along the way. So you might start solving one problem and you end up solving an entirely different problem. And, then, and the coolest part, I mean, for me, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is that after you've gone through the process of starting a business and, like, going through the ridiculous amount of hours and the ridiculous amount of learning curve that all that takes, then you get to turn around and, like, help other people who are just as active and passionate and curious about the world as you are, other entrepreneurs, do things like this podcast, and that's kind of like the cherry on top, um, especially if you like to interact with people entrepreneurs are the best customers on the planet. So that's why I love business advice type products like service type business uh, businesses that help other businesses grow. Great stuff. Now, that's one of the things, of course, we're doing a lot more of. We're helping people make money. That's a lot of fun too. One of the things that Gary really hits on is being passionate about the process, not necessarily the product. At the end of the day, like this is a lifestyle and maybe like passion about a certain industry is sort of overrated because most entrepreneurs, I mean, that can even be a problem, Ian, because you can become like emotionally attached to your product and your market. Sometimes that spells disaster for entrepreneurs or like, for me, if you're passionate about something like being creative or being a team builder or starting new ideas, that's a much better route than being passionate about a certain kind of yogurt that you want to develop. Because if your yogurt fails, you're screwed and you're going to hang on to that thing forever. Whereas if you're an entrepreneur passionate about the process, you're likely to duplicate that process and keep going on and on. That's an interesting way to look at it. Let's move on to the meat and potatoes section. We've got two things that we want to talk about on the podcast today. If you stick around to the end of the episode, we're going to share with you some really cool Twitter tricks. we got two new awesome websites to share with you that can help you get some Twitter analytics to test your click-through and to see what other people on Twitter are up to and how many how much action they're getting from their communities. And also, we're going to show you how to get a sweet-looking minimum viable 
WordPress website up in less than 10 minutes. But first, the very first thing is I want to talk quickly about a new product that Chris Ducker launched and that uh, I will be promoting across my blogs. And I want to let people know why I'm promoting this and what it's all about. If you've listened to Ian and I's podcast, The Number One Way to Grow Your Business, we've always talked about hiring fast, getting people on board, developing ideas that are good enough to actually put manpower behind. And that's also a way that you can scale your business and get to what you're truly passionate about in your business. I think that's why, Ian, incidentally, so many entrepreneurs are passionate or wanting to become angel investors or investors. Yes. As an investor, you have the unique position of getting to like see the overview of the process and then kind of swooping in for the stuff that you're truly passionate about. The moments that you think you could offer the most of the situation. That's the that's what's great about being an investor. That's also what's great about being the you know the, at the top of an organization yeah. because you can, you can have like how many people do we have working for us right now? Ian? Um, probably about fifteen. Fifteen people. So you know, and they all do a litany of tasks that we don't want to do. What we want to do is podcast. That allows us the opportunity to have these people working, and we kind of swoop in when we're fascinated. And for me, that's strategy, that's creativity. And whenever something comes along that there's a creative idea that's needed or a strategy, I'm going to be there. Yeah, I mean, we've both been we've both been the workhorse for many years. We're both pretty good at being the workhorse, but I think where our core value is and where a lot of people's core value is, is is swooping in, like you said, and really providing a level of expertise that's unmatched by most people. So me and you currently have about four or five Filipinos, depending on what kind of freelancers we're engaging, four full-time. We've basically spent 16 months building that staff, you know, give or take. Actually, me living in the Philippines for a year, probably a little bit overwrought solution, but a lot of the people listening to this podcast are interested in having virtual assistants or they want to get virtual assistants. Most of the people that I've talked to, even at Milt Barron and I had a conversation about this. He was like, dude, what's up with the job boards in the Philippines? Is like everybody on there a scammer? Like, are they all working like for four different people or what's going on? The truth is, Ian, is that it's getting much more difficult. Obviously, there's a gold rush coming here to the Philippines. So like six months ago, I'm having a conversation with Chris Ducker in Manila. What a freaking spirited... Like, this guy is, like, such an incredibly aggressive entrepreneur. You know, you can just tell, like, when you go to his site, like, this guy is crushing it. Like, Chris Ducker is working while you sleep. He mentioned to me that he was going to create a service that, like, a matchmaking service. And I remember my thought at the time was, like, this guy's crazy. Like, that's difficult. He's not going to be able to beat the job boards. He's not going to make any money from it. Crazy. Whatever, man. Like, have fun with that. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, a couple weeks ago... We get on the horn and we talk for over an hour about this new product he launched called Virtual Staff Finder, which we're going to have all the information on the blog and the, and the link and everything. And like, I would just like my jaw dropped to the floor because it was such an elegant, beautiful solution to this matchmaking issue that I had never even considered this as an approach because it's a consultive approach. And I had fallen prey to the, we often rail against, which is people demand to like have automated approaches to everything. Well, Chris is actually offering an hour of his time to anybody that signs up for his service. And it makes so much sense because in that one hour talking to a guy in the Philippines, you can really like get like insane information tailored to you about exactly what you need to learn about. So anyway, I just want to let everybody know as you get ramped up for a new business and you and you thinking you want to hire somebody, but you're worried about the lag time or getting scammed on the internet or getting somebody good enough in the Philippines, Chris Ducker's virtual staff finder, I think is super elegant. 
The results have been phenomenal so far for all the customers he's signed up. 100% success rate so far since he launched. He's got tons of traction on it. Uh, I think it's a brilliant thing. And actually, for anybody who signs up through our affiliate link, I'm going to give them a free copy of the unedited raw version of my 44,000-word book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Outsourcing the Philippines. When I say my book, I mean the book that I advised a virtual assistant to write, not the book that I wrote. wrote. It's not going to have a byline on it or anything like that, but it is a really worthwhile book for anybody that's interested in kind of the nuts and bolts of the Philippines, plus cultural nuance issues that there's really no publishing out there on the internet about right now. Uh, so those are the two offerings that you're going to get if you go with a virtual staff finder through our affiliate. Two things. Uh, one is, do you think this is the next best thing, finding a Filipino assistant or worker in the Philippines without having to go to the Philippines? I mean, do you think Chris Ducker's product is the next best thing to going to the Philippines? Absolutely. I mean, this is absolutely a sales pitch. And the reason is, is that I really believe in this. Like he kind of like knocked me out with this when I was like, that is brilliant. Like I would have totally used this service, Ian, because I just remember like my experience with onlinejobs.ph and Craigslist and like putting up with all the BS. Like I spent probably five times as much money as Chris's service costs in effing up in order to get one good employee. And what's worse, what's worse than that is I wasted my time. Right. And like Chris like cuts all that crap. I mean, we spent a lot of money. Here's the thing about Chris. I've never met anybody, heard about anybody or read about anybody that has more real hiring experience in the Philippines than him. I mean, the guy's hired hundreds of Filipinos and now he's facilitate. He, you can speak directly with him. He understands a, a broad range of business models and he basically will go out and match make for you personally. Now this is for home-based assistance, virtual assistance. Um, anyway, I've got a whole interview about that on the blog you can listen to. I don't want to, you know, belabor the point too much. We'll maybe do an episode about virtual assistance later on. But I just want to bring this up because it's timely. It's now. If you're wor- if you're thinking about getting a virtual assistant, you love the idea of someone working with you for $350, $400 a month, full-time on your projects, English speaking, it's an incredible opportunity. But, it, you know, as we said, it's not the easiest thing to do. This service makes it easy. It guarantees your virtual assistant for 30 days, your satisfaction with them. And again, it's 100% managed by you. It's not managed by Chris Ducker. He's just a matchmaker, but he guarantees your satisfaction with the money back. That's what I think is brilliant about it. Plus, you get to talk to the guy for an hour, which is priceless. Right. So... It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's it's a totally cool service. I love it. I absolutely and, love and it. And by the way, when you when you talk to Chris Ducker, uh, the guy's got a British accent, right? Yeah, he's a sexy mofo. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting to. And you know what else I'm getting to is when I see somebody tweeting. You know what I mean? It would be nice to have like a little British uh, flag there. So when I read like their tweets. <laughs> I, I read yeah. kind of in that accent because you look at guy like Chris Ducker, you look at me, for example, on Twitter, and you're like, well, I wonder how that guy talks. Well, it'd be nice to have a little flag up there, don't you think? Right, because I think as Americans, we tend to Americanize everything. So you see, I mean, you see Chris Ducker tweeting entrepreneurial tips, come to the virtual business lifestyle. And then you get there and he's like, you've made it to right. the number one blog <laughs> for virtual business lifestyle outsources. <laughs> anyway, we love Chris. Thanks, man. Really cool uh, service there. So uh, second off in the meat and potatoes, we, this, is a, this is a bar brainstorm that we just want to share with you. A lot of talking going on about the four-hour work week. And the reason is, is the four-hour work week is the best book that exists about business for our generation. I believe that. I believe that it's almost perfect. And I, I thought I was thinking about this. I have read hundreds of business books, hundreds. 
I know that I've read, I've at least read over 150, probably over 200. I mean, I, I plow, you see me plow through these things. I'm also obsessed about business information. Tim Ferriss has written the best business. There's two little things that we would tweak, two little misconceptions that we're going to weigh in on. Everybody's got this conundrum about the four hour work week, what that actually means. A lot of people will sit, read the book and say things like, well, I don't actually ever want to work four hours a, a week. And I think there's a misconception about like what the DNA of the four hour work week actually looks like. As a successful entrepreneur and as Tim Ferriss and as anybody else that you can dig up, you will be working more than 40 hours a week regardless forever, forever and always. If, if not, if you're a lazy bum and you don't want to work that much, you're not going to make it happen. So you're done. You're out. You're out. Get out of here. So everybody reading the four hour work week is going to work 50, 60, 70, 80. If you're Ian, you're going to work even while you sleep. I got an email from you this morning at some ridiculous hour. Ian, you just spent two weeks working four hours a week, but you, but, but you did work 60 hours a week. So what's the new DNA for you and how does that come about? Well, here's here's what I think we're getting at. This is what happened in our business and I think this is what happens in a lot of businesses. Generally tend to work, you know, maybe 60 hours. How you spend that 60 hours a week in the beginning of your business is very different than how you spend that 60 hours a week in the middle or, you know, two or three years into your business depending on depending on a lot of things. So, in the beginning of or in the beginning of the process, I think that we spend 60 hours a week really grinding on things, uh, putting up websites, product creation, any and everything that's included in starting a business. We're going to put that under the category of work. So this is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about work. We're talking about nuts and bolts. We're talking about things like spreadsheets, processes, hiring, budgeting, going to the CPA, making invoices, getting QuickBooks, going out and meeting with customers, going to trade shows. Right. Going to do sample reviews, like blah, 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 blah. This is work. This is the actual getting this thing moving. Yeah, and a lot of times you don't have people working for you yet. I mean, maybe you're in the hiring process, so you're just starting to get people on board. A year later, you're just starting to kind of start to offload some of your tasks. So maybe maybe you're down to only really working on this stuff 50 hours a week, 40 hours a week, but nonetheless, you're still working on a lot. So what I'm getting at here is that at the two, three, the five-year mark, depending on how fast your business is growing, for us, it's happening in about the two-and-a-half-year mark we are starting to see a lot less work and a lot more play. I think that's one of the things that we are deconstructing in the DNA of the four hour work week. At year two, two, year two and a half for us, we're doing about four hours of actual work per week and the rest of it is play. And what do we mean by play, Dan? Play items would be, you know, for Tim Ferriss, that's being creative and writing. It can be things like networking. It can be things like uh, developing a social media presence. It could be like blogging or podcasting. Uh, it can be creative iteration. It can be strategic meetings. It can be pulling together high-level teams. It can be organizing a party for your company, that kind of thing. It's, In fact, it's the kind of thing that you experience some worker guilt over. Yeah. A lot of t- I think when we first started doing this podcast, Ian, our initial thought was to feel guilty that we weren't doing invoices or spreadsheets right now. That's right. And what we're finding is that that transition to work to play is important for a couple of reasons. One is sustainability. The second is is that it opens you up to much broader opportunities. You know, if you insist on issuing every invoice, then you're not going to be able to find new places to issue them. And that's what play is really about. It's about taking new shots at the dartboard, like throwing other noodles against the wall and seeing if they stick getting yourself out there networking. Uh, one of the big parts of play is investing. You know, 
figuring out what you're going to do with the cash that you generated, that can mean like getting out there and playing a little bit, traveling, like opening up to your eyes to new opportunities. You're still at, I mean, the important thing is that you're still at it 70 hours a week. The great example was when Ian and I were in Bali, like we definitely issuing invoices. Like we sat down and did nuts and bolts for like an hour a day. So maybe five hours a week, but the rest of the time we were playing, we were drawing infographics and like trying to figure out the conceptual ideas about stuff and, and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's one idea of the four hour work week that wasn't clearly articulated is that, and that there's just misconceptions from the readers is that how this stuff actually plays out. Like, like we said in, earlier in an episode, we read the four hour work week and immediately started working 100 hours a week. And then, so that's what you got to be prepared for. Number one, the upfront hit. And number two, transitioning out of that as soon as you can, once you can hire people or get capital involved and feeling comfortable with playing. Like you read, I mean, I'm impacted by reading Richard Branson's book the other day and hearing how that guy spends his time. Like he plays. That's right. Like he cut. He cuts deals, he travels, he does marketing stunts, he networks, he makes important phone calls. Like, that's all play. And you have to get comfortable doing that high-level stuff if you really want to make it big time. Yeah, we both, uh, we both read Richard Branson's uh, book, Business Trip Bear Over the Chip uh, to Bali. And I think that is something that we both realize is that this guy does high-level stuff all day, and that's his play. You know, that's what he, yeah. that's what he considers play is uh, making high-level decisions about mergers and acquisitions, things like that. So Richard Branson is playing all day. He's not working. Well, let me give you a counterexample. I mean, just an anecdotal thing, Ian. I've seen examples of entrepreneurs that essentially are martyring themselves to their business, and they feel like it's their personal responsibility to like save it and run it or do everything involved. And what ends up happening when in every business, like there's this requirement for change. You always have to be pivoting, changing, reacting. I mean, Ian, where we make our money in the next two years isn't going to be where we make it in the next two years. No, I after think that's, that. a, that's a, you could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, and the idea is, is like playing really prepares you to have the vision for the next step. And if you insist on continuing to be the spreadsheet guy, then all you're really going to have in your mind is spreadsheets when the crucial pivot time comes along. One of the things that our business is not suffering from is new avenues in which to expand our business. And I think that that's a large part of our play. And I think that that's really important to have. So here's the number two thing that we feel like there's a bit of a misconception about this four-hour work week, and that there's not enough focus on the unautomated work and responsibilities up front that it takes to grow a business. So a couple examples that Ian and I often talk about here are not using the telephone, not doing things like cold calling, developing relationships, key relationships, and not just random relationships with people on the internet, but like relationships that are actually going to involve a deal or a partnership or an investor or some capital inflow or something like that. Um, and so there's a brief mention of using the phone in the beginning of the, the four-hour work in the beginning process setting up a muse, but it's not focused on that that actual whole phone process could take a year. Yeah. Oh, it takes much longer than a year. I mean, we've been working with clients. Uh, I'm thinking of a specific client that we contacted about a year ago, and it wasn't until about a month ago that we started doing business with them. I mean, I called these guys every single week. I mean, this guy must like thinking I'm like Mr. Persistent, which I am. But it took a year probably to do business with this guy. 
And this guy didn't find us on our website. These guys don't use the web that much. So it was really important that we picked up the phone and called this guy out. And it, and it really did take a year to get in touch with this guy. And let me tell you about another phone conversation I had just today. I found out that one of our competitors was uh, was going out of business. I gave him a ring. And uh, actually, he didn't get back to me for about a month. I had kind of forgotten about it. But anyways, he got back to me today. And we had a great conversation about how we can potentially work together in the future. And I mean, this guy would have never known to call me. I mean, he would have never emailed me or anything like that. But now we've got an opportunity on the table to work with this guy in the future and figure out what's going to happen next. So I think it's really important. I mean, it's really important that you focus on the I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the most high-level intelligences that are involved in pulling together deals can't be conceptualized in a mailing list or a website. There are real things that are in real people's minds. So... Over the past year, you've developed the process in your brain to be able to get, you know, quarter million dollar clients, for example. Well, that's something that you're going to be able to pass on to your organization and your employees, and it'll always be part of the DNA of your company. And it just wouldn't have happened if you would have set up some, quote, automated business on the web because what is automated now is your expertise and your understanding. And you can basically, the automation process for that is hiring somebody and imbuing them with the precedent knowledge, the spreadsheets, the supplier network, all the things that you did the hard yards for. If you didn't spend that year up front not doing automation, you would never have that automated process to hand on to somebody else. And it's super valuable. Now, there's a couple exceptions, I think. One, one exception would be if you're working in an industry for a long time and you've been developing a product for a long time, you launch it, then you don't have a phone number and you've got all these automated um, you've got all this automation going on in your business because you're focused on something else, but you knew exactly the product to launch. People have latched onto it. They're buying it like hotcakes. So you can kind of automate your business. Now, what normally happens though is that you launch a product or you launch a service and at the same time you learn about your customers. So I think that there is an exception to this, but most people that launch new businesses need to learn about their customers and need to do some automation. All right, so let's move it on and get on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny joke section. So what do you got here, Ian, in terms of quick tips for the listeners? One of the first things that I want to talk about today is a minimum viable product page. This was put up by Methodologist. Uh, we'll put up the link for this because it's a uh, stupid long. Basically, these are simple WordPress pages that you can launch your product on and most of these look like single product pages, so really simple if you got one product and you just want to get it up there super quick, super dirty, super easy. Yeah, and these are super elegant, and this is something maybe three years ago we would have spent weeks trying to design. So these things look sweet, they're free, and you can just get moving with it. Second thing we want to share is some Twitter analytics stuff. The old Ian's been getting into the tweet game, man. Yeah, Teach check it out, man. I got 100 followers. I just cracked that bad boy today. Bling, bling. Yeah. So yeah, um, the uh, bit.ly link shortener which a lot of you know about. What I didn't know about until today was how to track those in your Twitter stream. And so I use a tweet deck. You need to get on Bitly and link it up to your tweet deck. In the settings in your tweet deck, check show preview information for short URLs. And basically what this is going to allow you to do is track how many people click on your links in your Twitter stream. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you'll also be able to see conversion stats, you know? So that's at different times of the day, for example. 
Uh, a corollary to this is you can go to tweetstats.com and you can enter in either your username or anybody else's username for that matter and see a wide range of tweet analytics. That'll help you out especially if you're doing things like auto-tweets and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people say, oh, this is fake and this is garbage, but whatever. Like The bottom line is that Twitter is micro-publishing. I, Ian and I were talking about a friend of mine who has a throwaway Twitter account, basically. He just set it up with using Tweet Adder software or Hummingbird or something and started auto-following a bunch of people in a particular niche and just started sending out affiliate links. And that Twitter account was making him $200 a month. And Amazing. Yeah, and, and you know, Twitter isn't all about people. It can be about organizations publishing valuable information too. I mean, plenty of people follow bots, like I follow the Hacker News bot, for example. And there's plenty of people that would be willing to hire sort of a, a follow a bot who's publishing information about things that they, they value. And especially, I mean, one of the things that's changing, Ian, is I feel like Amazon affiliate links are going to become more effective just because of the Kindle and the iPad and everything. I mean, yeah. you can literally like just show up to Amazon and be like, all right, done. One click, I'm out, and I'm reading right. it. You can make good money doing that, and you can get good followers pretty easily like we talked about in the last episode. All right, so that's the episode for today. If you have any questions for us, don't forget that we've got a phone number, and don't forget that we love you listening to our podcast and taking the time to join us today. Anything else you'd like to add, Ian? Dan, have a good time in NYC, and I look forward to doing another podcast with you soon. All right, brother, talk to you soon. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.